Hello and welcome once again to the Along the Trail podcast. I'm your host, Neil Halford. Before we get started, I want to make a small apology about the long delay since our last episode. My grand plan had been to gather a number of interviews with my friends on a planned trip home. Unfortunately, due to a number of unforeseen circumstances, that trip and the episodes that would have come out of it have been postponed for the next few months at the very least. In the meantime, I've decided to dip into a small pool of recordings that I made early last year which had purely been intended for the ears of my family, but led ultimately to the creation of this podcast. Given that this is being recorded during the Easter weekend, I thought this might be an appropriate time to share a different kind of Easter story. Some of the people who know me now are sometimes surprised to find out that I was once a much more religious individual than I am now. You have to take into consideration that I was brought up in a city which one of my cynical friends called the crossbar of the buckle of the Bible Belt. Tulsa was home to Oral Roberts University. Further, I descend from a long line of preachers, teachers, and farmers, and frequently they were all three. So it shouldn't really come as a great surprise that I grew up in a fairly religious household. I read my Bible every night. I said prayers before meals and before bedtime. Every week we would attend the Wednesday night service, as well as Sunday morning Bible school and the morning service, and we would come back that evening for evening service. For most of the years, whenever I was in elementary school, my summers were almost always occupied by vacation Bible school. We were a family that had a lot of churching. Of course, it wasn't enough for us to simply attend church. We were also actively involved in helping get other people to come to church. And so whenever I was a kid, apparently we had a small group of other kids that we would load up into our station wagon and take with us whenever we went to church on Sunday. Now, I know a lot of families have their own post-service ritual, but in my family, what was usual for us was to either come home and get a uh, bucket of, of Kentucky Fried Chicken and maybe go out to Lake Keystone. But much more frequently, the dinner for us for lunch was frequently tuna and tea. Now, I don't know if this is something that other families had. I don't know if it's a Swanson thing or a Halford thing. But I came to associate Sunday afternoons with tuna and tea. And to this day, if it's a Sunday afternoon, I still have a craving for those things. The church that we attended whenever I was a child was called Osage Hills Christian Church. It was technically located in Tulsa, and it was right between Tulsa and Sand Springs. Whenever I speak to people who were brought up Christian, one of the first questions is frequently, well, what was the denomination of the church you belong to? For us, that was kind of a complicated question simply because technically we were a non-denominational Christian church. In terms of what that meant theologically, it's hard to say for sure. But whenever I compare with others, I think that we were probably some stripe of Baptist. But likely what happened is the church founders didn't particularly want the Southern Baptist Convention telling them what to do or to preach. And so they decided that non-denominational sounded non-threatening and would be open to other interpretations or other ideas. Of course, this sort of generic label that we chose to apply to our church 
wasn't in any way indicative that we were any kind of crazy liberals. In point of fact, we were actually a fairly conservative bunch. As I was growing up, I remember my family being given increasingly greater amounts of responsibility at the church. I remember being in the church kitchen before services and bringing out the little tray that held all the little shot glasses, whatever they were called, that they put the drinks in. And of course, being the kind of church we were, we didn't have actual wine. These came out of little bottles of Welsh's grape juice that we filled out of the refrigerator. And we also had boxes uh, that came out of the cabinets that had the host. And of course, in our case, this was these little tiny, almost like the size of a Pez pellet that were, were the pieces of bread that were passed around on the communion plates. As time went by, my parents eventually were placed in charge of the Sunday morning youth Bible studies. This not only meant that they had more responsibilities for the church, but also that I had more responsibility because they felt like it was my job to provide a kind of example to the other kids, and so that I needed to be a better kid, a better behaved kid uh, than anyone else. This was a job that I didn't particularly relish or even ask for. And one of the hardest parts about this was that I sort of became the, the bouncer for our youth group. We had one kid in particular, and unfortunately I don't remember his name any longer, and I don't particularly care to remember it, to be honest. But there was one kid who now, if you would consider this as a child that was on the spectrum, or if he was someone who needed to take Ritalin or, or whatever the case was, but this was not a kid that would sit down and be quiet. And so unfortunately, what frequently happened is that they would be, you know, looking to me whenever this kid would be acting up or making a lot of noise during the services, and they kind of expect me to go over and do whatever it took to keep this kid quiet and in his seat so that they could conduct the class in an uninterrupted way. And this meant me basically turning into Neil the Human Straightjacket. And I remember many mornings whenever I was literally sitting in a chair and holding him from behind by the shoulders to keep him in his seat and to make sure that he wasn't moving around or making noise, which was a lot of responsibility for a kid who, you know, when at the time I was probably, again, you know, six, seven, eight years old or, or whatever the case was. This was not exactly conducive to thinking about higher things, about having a religious life. All I'm thinking is, I just want to get through the next half an hour, the next 45 minutes, and please, God, let this little fart shut up and sit still. Being brought up as a Christian had a profound effect on my young life. It influenced almost every part of the way I thought, the way I lived my life, the friends I had, and so forth. Whenever I was 17 years old, I made the decision that I wanted to be baptized, and I still remember vividly uh, being there in the church in my nice little blue outfit and in my tie and the shoes and, and uh, going to the front of the church and making my witness and then being led 
to the baptistry, which was behind the the pulpit, uh, which was located in this kind of little bathtub in the sky. I don't really know how else to describe it, but uh, it was so kind of peculiar because there you could see it from the rest of the congregation, and there was kind of this glass thing, and you could see what was going on up there. So they trumped me into the back. I changed out of my clothes, and I got into the robe and marched up this very narrow, very steep set of stairs that led up to the baptistry. And I remember going through the whole ceremony and being dunked and, and all of that. I definitely felt at the time as though this had made a change in my life. And the fact that this would have an influence for a number of years on who I was and what I wanted to be. And honestly, until I was in eighth grade, I thought I was going to grow up and be a preacher. As a child, I took my religion deadly seriously. Everything that was in my King James Bible was absolutely literally true. If I needed an answer to a question, I was always trained to believe that if I opened up the holy book, I would find the solution to whatever I needed to find out between those pages. Now, unfortunately, the problem was is whenever I tried to apply these ideals to the real world, and whenever I came up with a situation where revealed truth and what was going on around me didn't match up, I didn't really know how to respond to the situation. And the best illustration of this came up whenever I was playing with my good friend, David Guthridge. Now, David was my best friend. We were born around the same time, and he lived across the street from me. And every early memory I have before school and through most of my elementary years, David was there. He was the person that I spent all of my time with. So one day, we happened to be in his yard playing army. This was the game that we played more than almost anything else. And so I was kitted out with this really terrific M16 plastic rifle that my parents had bought me from TGNY. And David had uh, this gun that his dad had made for him out of old iron pipes. After a particularly fierce battle, we were sitting on the grass and we'd resolved who had actually shot who because there was that wonderful situation of, well, I shot you. Well, no, you didn't, but I got you around the corner. Uh, we were just sitting on the grass post-battle and chatting. And for whatever reason, the topic of Easter came up. I can't really remember exactly how we, we got into this particular discussion, but I was talking about the resurrection of Christ and talking about how wonderful it was that Jesus came back from the dead. And David looked at me and he said, well, no, he didn't. And I said, well, of course he did. You know, uh, he, he died for, for our sins and, and then he came back. And David again just replied, no, he didn't. I became incredibly upset at this and was trying to explain to him how this worked and the fact that Jesus died for all of our sins and all this other stuff. And David was just not responding in the way that he was supposed to respond. He was supposed to take this word and, and agree with me and we can talk about how fantastic that this happened. And I became outraged that anybody could deny this truth, that someone didn't believe the same thing that I did. And so we got into an argument and we went from yelling at each other to the point that I took my M16 rifle that was one of my prized possessions as a kid and I proceeded to beat him over the head with my gun until the stock broke in half. You see, the problem was is that David was Jewish. 
And until this point, it had never actually meant anything to me other than just being a word. I knew that Jews were in the Bible and everything else, but he just did not believe in the same belief system as I did. And for some reason, I thought that after the New Testament, they had gotten the memo or something. I simply didn't understand why it was he was refusing what was so obviously true. So his mother, being a good mother, was watching what was going on from the window and immediately, of course, came running out to break up the two of us. And, of course, was highly incensed. She called my mother on the phone and she sent me back home. In retrospect, I'm astonished that Ruth Guthridge ever let me play with David ever again. I'm grateful that after I got home, my mom sat me down and immediately let me know that this was not an appropriate kind of behavior, certainly not a way to respond to having my faith challenged by someone else. But nevertheless, I was in a religion that preached absolutes. There was truth and there were lies. There was the right way and there was the wrong way. And if it was not Christianity, then it was a threat to Christianity. And this was the religion and the theology that I grew up in. You know, we're the good guys, you're the bad guys, and we're in control. And if you aren't going to come to the word on your own, then we will bring it to you by force. I wish that at the time that I'd had the maturity or presence of mind to fully grasp what had happened. It wasn't until several years later that I began to fully process how this event had been internalized by me and how it would in the long term be the beginning point at which many of my thoughts and my beliefs and my treatment of other people would change. This would be the point at which I began to become skeptical of religions and beliefs that didn't have some kind of scientific backing behind them. I began also to question my own motives for why I was doing things and how I was being influenced by thoughts or motivations that came from outside of myself. The most important thing was that I decided to become a guardian of myself, to make certain that whatever was trapped inside myself, to make sure that I wasn't reacting to other people in a cruel or an unkind way, that I wasn't imposing myself on other people. That early formative experience would profoundly change the way I looked at the world and at myself. This weekend will be a rare convergence of three world religions, Easter, Passover, and Ramadan. If you observe, I hope this time brings you peace and understanding. I hope you live long and prosper. Until next time, this is Neil Halford with the Along the Trail podcast.